Hey everyone, this is Sade, creator and host from the Witching Hour podcast and producer for Darkly Lit, and I have a quick message for you guys from some new friends from a really great podcast I think you will like. Hey there, I'm Patrick Hines. And I'm Julian Pensavalli. And we are the hosts of a new podcast called True Crime Obsessed. Obsessed. Each week, we break down a popular true crime documentary, like The Keepers or Mommy, Dead, and Dearest, and we chat about it in a fun and interesting way. We also have a ton of fun, and let's be real, we edit the hell out of our episodes. Well, Patrick does. So Patrick, play a clip of us being funny or something. And at one point, she's like, who am I to tell this family that they're not related? And I'm like, you're the FBI, Nancy. That's who you are. Like, if anyone has any right to tell these people that I'm so sorry to tell you this, but this is a, like, he's a, a mass imposter who's been who's wanted by Interpol and who does this on the regular like you Nancy just tell them Joe Maskell looks like one of the many sketches of the Zodiac Killer which is totally appropriate have we ever seen the two of them in the same room together oh did we just solve the Zodiac case I think we did we didn't even mean to oh my god so if you're serious about true crime but you also love to laugh give us a try find true crime obsessed anywhere you get your podcasts Lit, where we delve into the world of horror each month with a different piece of literature or story. I am your host, Kayla Berry, and uh, let's introduce the rest of the roundtable. I am Sade from the Witching Hour podcast. I am Chelsea Comer, aka Sia Comer, and I am a illustrator slash horror enthusiast. And I am David King, and I live under the couch. <laughs> he really does. The- he lives under all our couches. Yeah, you know those couch. Miss- I'm not the monster under the bed. I'm the hand that comes out from under the couch and hands you a bag of straight razors. Oh, that was a good story. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> but that's not the story we're discussing today. Mm-mm. This month, we are discussing The Yellow po- Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. And uh, I think, is this our oldest piece of literature, I want to say right now, that we've read? So far, yeah. I would think Yeah. yeah. Uh, I believe the story was penned initially in uh, 1892. Yeah, that's older than um, the Mountains of Madness. So, uh, so we get it does older. not read like it's older than the Mountains of Madness. No, <laughs> no it doesn't. <laughs> well, where uh, Lovecraft had to mansplain everything to us, uh, Charlotte Perkins <laughs> Gilman just lays it straight. And I really like this story. I'm going to put it right out there. Uh, This is one of my favorites from my college days that I uh, heard in one of my courses initially. And then just kind of it kind of just stayed with me uh, going forward. So I'm really I'm really glad we're covering this story today. Um, I figured that we should probably uh, talk about the author for this one, because her history actually does play a good role into why she wrote this story. Mm -hmm. So. Charlotte Perkins Gilman was born in New England in 1860, and actually her uh, maiden name was Beecher. Uh, She was actually born into poverty. Uh, Her father abandoned their family when she was a child and only received just a few years of formal education. 
said she would never marry, hoping to devote her life to public service. However, she ended up marrying Charles Walter Stetson at 21 years old, who was a artist from Rhode Island. Charlotte became pregnant almost immediately and gave birth to a daughter. And this actually led into a deep depression that lasted several years. She ended up going to a sanitarium in Philadelphia, and she went under what was called rest cure, which means uh, that she's not supposed to do any form of physical activity or intellectual stimulation. This is definitely an important part of the story we have read. After a month, uh, she went back to her family and had a nervous breakdown and then actually left her husband and then moved with her, cal- her daughter to California, where she actually recovered very quickly. She began writing and lecturing, and uh, actually it was 1892 that she published the story, The Yellow Wallpaper, and then published in 1898, published uh, a book called Women in Economics. And as a result, she earned international claim. Later on, she married her first cousin, Hewton Gilman, which is how she got the last name Gilman. And then over the next 25 years, she wrote and published uh, many different books. In 1932, she learned she had breast cancer and passed away three years later from suicide. Uh, she was 75 years old and uh, is considered one of the most influential women of the 20th century. Hmm. That's... uh. So that rescue didn't work out very well now, did it? No. <laughs> you kind of, you just mentioned that after she moved to California, she got better very quickly. But wasn't it because she stopped listening to the doctors that were telling her, you just need to like lay down and do nothing at all? Exactly. Yeah. I, I, that trust after that uh, event, I'm, I know that it definitely influenced the yellow wallpaper. So mm-hmm. um, David, you want to give the summary? <clears throat> all right, I can do that. So the yellow wallpaper follows the story of a unnamed uh, protagonist, an unnamed woman, and is written from the perspective of her diary, her journals. Now they say uh, this interest. This is interesting to me because it says the woman is unnamed, but I have a reason to believe that the name is in the uh, is in the story. It's never concrete, but I uh, uh, at the end uh, the name of a woman who is not either of the other two characters is mentioned. Anyway, mm-hmm. getting ahead of myself a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so this this woman, our our protagonist. She and her husband, John, who is a physician, are staying for the summer in a rented colonial mansion in a bid to help her get better from a sort of nervous depression, a slight hysterical tendency, as it's called. And this is shortly after she's given birth to her own child. John's uh, sister, Jenny, is the um, like downstairs housekeeper and keeps an eye on the house. And rather than stay in some of the other rooms in the in the mansion, uh, they keep uh, the woman stays in the top floor in a room that is, she believes was once a nursery because it has barred windows and s- torn wallpaper and scratches on the floor. Because she's not doing anything for days on end, she has little to do but write in her journal, which she does not want her husband nor uh, Jenny to see because she they don't they f- think it's detrimental to the rest cure that she's under, and nothing else to do but hang out there and also stare at the wallpaper and because of under under stimulation her mental health starts to deteriorate over time and she starts thinking she sees patterns she starts getting more and more more and more unhinged and uh begins thinking that she sees a woman on the other side of the wallpaper or out in the gardens creeping around so sometimes she sees several women sometimes she sees only one by the end she's convinced that there's a woman trapped behind the wallpaper and she needs to free her uh, by the end of the story, she has her. Uh, the story takes a weird turn in that by the end of it, it's not exactly concrete what happens. But the impression that most people get is that 
Uh, she tears the wallpaper down and then starts creeping around the, wo- the, the room thinking she is the woman behind the wallpaper. And when her husband breaks in after she locked the door and threw the key down onto the main drive through the window, she says, I've gotten out despite of you and Jane. And he faints. And she just continues to creep over him as he lies in her path. Uh, creeping around and around the room in circles. And that's uh, essentially the base summary of the story. So what did we think of this? Well, I really enjoyed it. I remember having listened to Midnight Marinera's uh, reading of it. <laughs> um, same. That, uh, I actually heard that before I read the story. So. Same, yeah. But I, I think I didn't remember the end too well, so reading it was a nice refresher. Um, and yeah, I really liked it. This was a good pick. I agree. (laughs) And that's not just coming from the guy who liked the story so much he wanted to adapt it into a Midnight Marinara episode. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell David was definitely the one who was like, we want I want to read this. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, you guys, it's interesting because we were debating what to read next on Darkly Lit. And I think one of you suggested it as opposed to me. And I thought, oh, shouldn't we do something longer? It's a 6,000 word short story, just so you guys know. So it was not a difficult read at all, but it's a really, it does a lot with uh, what it has. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's an effective, it's an effective story just by its own merits and it doesn't mince words. You know what I mean? Um, one of the things I like about it is that we're watching this woman delve into madness. And I, when, I like these type of stories where, you're not sure if what she's seen is real or it's due to her madness. I think it's supposed to hinge more on the fact that she is going crazy due to it. But uh, like based off what we know about uh, Charlotte Perkins Gilman. But in the same breath, it doesn't reveal that you just think this could actually be happening. And that's the scary part because it's all we, we're, we only have her as the narrator, the unnamed narrator to trust. She is an unreliable uh, narrator. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to tell, especially at the end when there's a shift and the tense seems to shift, but it happens so uh, organically that it's hard to tell. It's sometimes you miss when the tense shifts and you don't know when she's writing in her journal and when you're just hearing get, suddenly it's your it's her inner monologue. I think that's what's really fascinating about the end of the book in particular or the end of the book, <laughs> end of the story in particular. I like how you kind of question it, whether she's really seeing these things or not, because like, she does mention in a couple parts where like she thinks that the paper is also affecting John and Jenny, where she like mm-hmm. talks about having caught Jenny like even touching the wallpaper. What do you guys think happened at the end? Or like, do you think it was something supernatural? Is like that what you took away from it? Or do you think she just really did lose her mind? Um, I think she actually did lose her mind. Yeah, that's where I am at, too. Yeah, I think after learning about like the rest, rest cure, mm-hmm. resting cure, whatever it was called, like, I think she lost her mind, too. Like, that would have driven me insane. Mm-hmm. I think for me, that's more horrifying than if it had been a supernatural element, especially because like, I really like learning about just, like, how absurd medical practices were in past times. Oh, my God. They used to be crazy. Right? So I think that's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed the story. Well, it's interesting, too, because, like, in the story, they actually talk about, they actually mention by name uh, Weir Mitchell, who was the man who sort of invented the rest cure and popularized it. And uh, it should be noted that the rest cure was pretty much only, like, almost exclusively... A diagnosis or a uh, or a practice that was recommended for young women mm. who were suffering from depression or fits or anything that seemed what was deemed like abnormal. But um, they, they mentioned the fact that it name drops Weir Mitchell is, I think, a pretty scathing indictment of of him and his rest cure, because I think a lot of the hypotheses that have come into the story is that 
this this adversely affected a lot of young women, mm. and uh, this is one of those things where the sort of like the the gender politics and the you know the disparaging like nature between the way like the way society saw men and women is actually a chief contributor to like ultimately a lot of suffering. Mm-hmm. Is it true and, that uh, Gilman sent this story to the physician or whoever it is that prescribed the bed rest or bed cure for her? Yeah, that's that's what I've read too. That she mm-hmm. sent it to him and he was like, oh. Oh shit! And like, kind of changed. Sorry. The way he... Um, yeah, he, I... he stopped recommending it from what I read. Yeah, I think there's. Uh, I think one of her chief goals was to like actually specifically get this to Weir Mitchell and be like, "Hey, this is screwed up. Don't do this anymore." Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure if that's exactly the case, but I like to think that hopefully Weir Mitchell had a change of heart when this came along. Well, wasn't Weir was Weir Mitchell her actual physician? Or... Uh, no. Um, if I recall, Weir Mitchell was just the person who popularized it. I think she okay. actually. I don't know if she ever met Weir Mitchell. Okay. Again, I did the research on this in college, and uh, while I was doing sort of the rudimentary research for this again, I the only decision now re- reoccurred to me that that was what that was something that happened. You know, another interesting thing is uh, breaking down what I, I wanted to answer the question because I, I didn't get a, get a chance. I don't think it's supernatural either, but there's that always that parts of me. There's always that part of me that loves a ghost story that kind of wants to believe mm-hmm. <laughs> that there's something off about the house itself. I mean, she even remarks, like, just from a romantic aspect, that this is, like, I would say a haunted house and reach the heights of romantic felicity, but that would be asking too much of fate. But there is something pretty odd about the room that she goes into anyway, the fact that it's more like a prison than a nursery. There are shackles, or sort of the places yeah. on the walls that look like they would have bolted things, mm-hmm. like shackles or something at one point. Yeah, like, what, what kind of nursery would that have been? Exactly. Uh, yeah, I kind of find it fascinating that there's a... There, the house is a kind of a character in its own right um, in the story, and it's got a history that's only defined by its features. Well, she even she even says that there's no real history of like uh, that would relate to a ghost story in this house. Just something about legal trouble with heirs and co-heirs. Nothing too dramatic or anything like that. But uh, even so, it's like there's something more that's not being told. Like again, there's shackles. The wallpaper is actually ripped. Um, she shrugs it off saying like, oh, boys must have been in this nursery. And there's bars so children wouldn't escape. It seems They've barred li- windows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a little. I think, you know, you could read a lot of it as metaphor as well. Like this room is both a nursery, but also like a prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is metaphor. So. That's true. I wonder um, if the visions she's seen is also like a metaphor. I mean, she says, I am the woman. I wonder if it's like a metaphor for herself. Like what she's seen is herself imprisoned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like another version. Well, she talks about how she doesn't want, how there's the woman creeping on the grounds who hides in the bushes when people go by. And she says, like, why does a woman need to creep by daylight? You know, that kind of thing. So when they say creep, like, like how do you guys imagine them moving? I've just, oh, just, my goodness. just a question for me. Uh, I found uh, a PDF that actually had like old pictures, and one of the pictures uh, shows this woman on all fours crawling over a man. Yeah, that's what I imagine. Just her kind of just like crawling, like half dragging yourself. Yeah, there's there. That's a. I don't. It's funny. That's I've seen that illustration as well. But what my what I think of is almost like her hunched over so far that she's almost perpendicular, and yet she's got her hands out like she's tiptoeing. That's the way I pictured the creeping in a way. But there's something creepy about the way that someone would move like that. 
Like, I'm going to do a little visual demonstration here for Kayla, since she can see me, but you guys can't. <laughs> oh, kind of like a... Like a super hunched over, just like, I can't let them see me. With, with your, like, bent knees. and Yeah, knees really bent, back kind of straight, and then the neck craned up at an uncomfortable angle. But she it... talks about having finding a smooch, as she calls it, a, like a line where the paper has been rubbed down all along the baseboard of the room. Mm-hmm. And that when she crawls at the end, creeps at the end, she gets her shoulder into that smooch in the wall and it fits perfectly. Does she? Like she's been creeping over and over again. It could be that she's been doing that and has forgotten it by that point. That's one of the things I've considered. Hmm. But I, I do kind of like the image of her, cr- like the, just, the, I mean, to step over her husband is not as creepy as her actually crawling over him yeah i mm-hmm. like the image of her just kind of dragging herself along the floor because i imagine that smooch being like right at the, right above the baseboard so she would have to be almost laying on the ground to get her shoulder up against it right that's a good point point. and yeah. then like she even there's the mention of the rope that she hides in the room because she was like i'll if the the woman tries to get away when she gets out i'll, I'll tie her up and then she later says that she is fastened now by her rope or something like that so I just imagined her, like, she's, like, tied herself up, and so she's almost even just kind of crawling like a worm against the oh, wall. Gosh. <laughs> That's what I imagined at the end. Um, the first time I read this, I was in high school, and, like, I always imagined her crab walking over her husband. <laughs> That's creepy. Oh, man. She's got a whole, like, uh, I just, the, when you guys mentioned her crawling, all I can picture is, like, a total, like, grudge slash Sadako kind of, like, you Aww. know. Yeah, creepy, almost. creepy arms bent kind of crawl like but, you know, um, one thing that's interesting about the rope is I've heard some people interpret the ending as uh, that she committed suicide and that her creeping around the room is her gaze as she hanged herself. But I'm like, that's a that's a little bit far fetched. I don't think that's what happened. Yeah, I don't think so either. I saw a little bit of that, too, where people thought she hanged herself and her creeping around the room was her shadow being cast around the room. But I I I didn't rate it like that at all. It feels like a big stretch, yeah. especially considering one thing that I think uh, gets pointed out. We were talking about, I know we're focusing on the end of the story a lot. There's other little metaphors that happen earlier. Mm. But um, but one thing about the ending I think is interesting is that John faints, which is at the time period, you think about it, that is a, a very feminine thing. Mm-hmm. Like he just faints at the sight of what's happening because it's so sh- shocking. And I think that's uh, that's kind of a, when you think about it, that's an image, that's a powerful image in itself. Here's this, man who's been dictating everything, doing a very feminine thing, and <laughs> a thing that he would they would ascribe to a woman being more weak-willed. He's the one with the weak will, and that suddenly he sees this all, he can't comprehend it, and he collapses. I, I, I gotta say this really quick, that little and where your voice failed you was very feminine for a second. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't mind. <laughs> it was adorable. Um, okay. oh, I, I'll accept that. I appreciate that. I would have actually wanted to ask, I meant to, to bring this up earlier, there's signs that uh, about what specifically she's dealing with, you know, without necessarily saying it, but they talk about how her depression and her nervous nervousness came about because after she gave birth to her her son. I think it's a son. I think it's yeah, a son. Yeah, she said he. Yeah. A son. So I think I've, a lot of people have come to the conclusion that what she's suffering from is a sort of postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's pretty accurate? I think so. Isn't that also what Gilman suffered from? Yeah. After she had her daughter, she said she fell in, it's, uh, she fell into a depression. Mm -hmm. So it parallels her in a lot of ways. Um, 
And one interesting thing is it, that I also interpreted a while ago when, when I was first studying this was they talked about the so we have this we have the wallpaper, which is, you know, just full of symbolism, the things like the the bulbous eyes, the broken neck patterns and the and the, the color of the wallpaper itself being an unclean kind of yellow. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they talk about the smell of the wallpaper being just like a yellow smell, a really hor- like a, a musty, bad odor. Some people have interpreted that as being related, also being related to the postpartum thing, because the yellow could be like uh, urine, like the smell of a diaper. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing. Yeah. I, I When I heard that, I thought, you know, that that could be it. What I, what I love so much about this story is, is so much of it is open to interpretation, even when you realize what it's ultimately trying to achieve. Yeah, because there's a lot of details in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, how she describes the yellow wallpaper, how she describes the house, that there, I feel you. there's more to this story than just the poor way that they treated women at the time. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. So remember how earlier I mentioned that the end of the story, um, they, I feel like we do get a name for our mm-hmm. uh, narrator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's specifically at the end of the story. And I have the quote, right. I've got out at last in spite of you and Jane. And she says this to, to John after he breaks into the room. Now, some people are like, who is Jane? And I thought to myself, what if at this point, I think at this point, our our narrator, Jane, is no longer Jane, but the woman that she envisioned behind the wallpaper. She she and the woman are one and the same at this point because she says, I've got out at last. Mm-hmm. So um, I've always felt it was a safe bet to say that. Um, and I, I, I interpreted it that way in the uh, Midnight Mariner episode that our protagonist is named Jane. But even so, I think people are not entirely sure if that's the case. What do you guys think? I was a little confused at first when the name came up, but that's that's how I that I concluded it with you. That's her name, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's. I mean, there's no there's no hint like that he's having an affair or anything like that. Nothing like that. So it has to be. I'm assuming it has to be her. Mm-hmm. There's they're all named. They're all they all have J names. We have John, Jenny, and Jane. Is a uh, there's a fourth character? Yeah, wasn't there like a nanny? Um, there was the there were cousins or relatives yeah that uh, came to visit during the fourth of july but like there's a nanny uh she had a name too um, well i'm thinking more along the lines of characters more directly involved in mm-hmm. what's happening because like where mitchell's in the story technically but <laughs> <laughs> he specifically is the like i think it's interesting that like john is sort of like an apprentice or or like a a fan i dare say a colleague of where mitchell's mm-hmm. so there's that too Makes it worse. It's like, wow, I believe him wholeheartedly. Yes, this is the best thing, dear. I know what's best for you because I'm a man and I'm a physician. But well, he says he's a physician, but really it's because he's male and he knows best. I'm trying to. That's not actually an glowing endorsement or anything. That's just me pointing out what he thought at the time. Why do you guys feel about John's character? Because obviously he he loves Jane, our, our narrator, but like he starts to like really creep you out, right? For me, he was just like with the overbearing like no you lay down you don't do a thing like he doesn't even want her writing in her journal like that's where it got really creepy for me and i actually feel kind of relieved for her at the end that like yeah she fucking went crazy but at least now she's kind of free (laughs) she does declare yeah (laughs) i don't i think john is just a product of his time Mm. like i i don't see him as like bad or good necessarily He's just a man of the time. Society made him that way. <laughs> yeah. And I think he, I, John is basically the representation of like we're in society saying, 
this is your what you're doing is wrong. We need you to do this. But he doesn't have much respect for his wife either. Like she would tell him things and she, he would laugh it off or mm-hmm. he call uh, her. He calls her little pet names like, oh, his blessed little goose or little girl. He he babies her a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He infantil- he infantilizes her and a lot. Whenever she says, oh, I, I don't. Can I be in the other room? She's like, he just says no. Like he does take full control over his wife and does makes her do exactly what he wants. Pretty creepy. <laughs> so it's hard to say. It's hard to say if this is a product of the times. I, I would think, it, but then it's like this is a little overkill. What kind of made it disturbing for me was like I didn't imagine it as like an over description or just like like I I legit believed that okay yeah this is how men used to treat their wives. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's. Um... <laughs> <laughs> if I recall, Charlotte. Gilman was a uh, feminist. Mm-hmm. She was definitely a proclaimed feminist. Well, I mean, she wrote it around the time that, like, the um, women's suffrage is going on, right? I think so, yeah. I this mean, is considered a feminist I, I, piece. Yeah. There's lots of different interpretations, though, which is, uh, again, I think part of the power of the story. In fact, um, you know, looking it up, a lot of people do uh, believe that this is uh, could be considered a ghost story, a proper a proper ghost story too. Which is what again one of the reasons I liked it initially, and then upon deeper reading realized it, that's just one way to to read it. This is such a good reader response theory kind of story. It is kind of what you make it, you know. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think if you focused on like the the those weird details about the room, like the scratches and like the whole bed frame being nailed down like that and then this this woman that she sees you could say like oh she was possessed by the ghost of this woman Mm -hmm. so yeah it could be a a ghost story what it or it could be you know you think about um you think about a lot of classic ghost stories where the house kind of feeds off the psychic energy of people who are already there Mm -hmm. the woman could very much still be a product of her mind but the the supernatural power of the house made it real Mm. or at least real to her you know (laughs) made a tulpa for her yeah, yeah, it's a, it's her tulpa. I mean, when you really think about it, it's her tulpa. But it's, I, it's it's her thought form of her being a sneaky sneak and creeping around and feeling trapped and being able to sort of illustrate in a more primal way what she's feeling while she's stuck in this room and stuck in this life. But that's one way to interpret it. Uh, speaking of our old friend, uh, speaking of horror, though, I mean, our old friend um, Howard Phillips Lovecraft actually had something to say about this story. Uh, he wrote that the yellow wallpaper rises to a classic level in subtle, subtly delineating the madness which crawls over a woman dwelling in the hideously papered room where a mad woman was once confined. That's an interesting thought. So he he he's of the impression that there was another woman probably imprisoned in that room at one point and also mad. Hmm. And he, she's seen the ghost of this woman. I can see why he thought that. Which actually could uh, give idea to what she's seen. Also, the fact why the paper is ripped, why there are bars on the window. Maybe Jane's case is not as severe as whatever this other woman that is supposedly in the yellow wallpaper suffered. Again, that's a cool way to interpret it. Yeah, that is probably not the intended interpretation. I mean, I'm, but there's all kinds of. This is this is why this story gets brought up in college. It's people they want you to think about it hardcore, and it's just fun. It's just fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I love this. I love this story. Did anybody give us any questions about this one? I think we only got just one from Twitter. No. <laughs> it's okay. I got some questions for us that we can. But what's the right. who who is our good friend from Twitter that sent us a question? Destiny Matei. Oh hey. Hi Destiny. Thank you for the question. Hi. 
So Destiny, oh, Destiny Dimite, my apologies. And her question is, uh, do you guys think the girl was insane or was it something supernatural? Well, oh, was... well, we kind of touched on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it's, I guess it's now or never. Do we do we say it's supernatural? Do we say it's all madness? I, I mean, just okay. If it were up to you to have a hard line, this is how it is. What would you, in your own mind, want it to be? While I love ghost stories, this for me is more disturbing as a story when it when it's her going insane. So that's where mm-hmm. that's where I'm gonna stand. I think it's meant to be written in a way that it could be open to new interpretation, but I think the intended purpose was her her to be that she actually is insane. But it either way, it does prove the point. The way that women's health was treated at the time is terrible. And I think she was, it was her way of explaining her own experience with uh, the rest here. But uh, yeah, I think she actually did go insane. And even then, that's still frightening in its own right. Oh, it is. Uh, I I think that it is in her mind, personally. I don't think it's supernatural. Uh, Sorry, I was looking into how often bars were used, like, um, on windows in the 1800s, because I was, like, really interested in that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, was that like a common thing in nurseries? I don't know if it was a common thing in nurseries, but it was a common thing as um, security to keep uh-huh. people from falling out of windows and to keep burglars from falling in until the uh, Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire in 19... What was it? 1911? Oh, yeah. That was a famous... Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so that is a possibility. Well, I mean, if you have a if you're if you have a nursery at the top of a house, you don't want kids accidentally falling out a window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would kind of be a sucky way to lose a kid. Be an easy way to haunt a house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think if I'm gonna go with the classic interpretation, I'm, I agree with all of you about it, her going mad. But I want to believe. I want to believe that there's some ghostliness well, in there. That's the great part of. I want to believe there's some ghostliness in there. That it doesn't. And all that, right, that being. That being a factor doesn't detract from the horror of what the woman is actually experiencing at the hands of the people. If anything, the house is like, yeah, we feel you, sister. If Lovecraft is correct in that there, this the ghost of a mad woman is in there haunting her, that still proves the point that like what ha- whatever happened to this woman is horrific. You know, you know, uh, now, a mad woman in the attic feels very Charlotte Bronte. Oh gosh. <laughs> I guess it's not that much of a logic leap to think that there might have been a, a woman locked in that attic and that's why there's something, some other presence there. But I almost feel like Lovecraft might have been like, well, it happened in Jane Eyre, so uh, I'll just put it out there. <laughs> I feel like Lovecraft is a big fan of madness and like supernatural. Oh, yeah. Unexplainable things, though. I feel like you would see that in a lot of other stories. Hey, Howard, if you were writing this story, what would you do? More giant penguins. <laughs> More giant penguins. There would have been a giant penguin in the wallpaper if he had written it. I don't know if I want to ask this, but because uh, Lovecraft was pro- was male and would have read this from the male perspective, do you think he would have seen, you know, like the, the faults in, like, say, John's character or, like, the wrong that and the way the narrator was being treated in the story? You gotta... Hmm... Well, I mean, I based mean, off how 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 much do you think he knew about like the resting cure in and of itself? Mm-hmm. Because like I didn't know very much about it before I had to research the story for this. Well, the rest cure would have been. Do you think it still would have been popular in his time? In twenty seven, I don't think. I think by this point, the rest cure had pretty much been like thrown out as a viable thing. 
At least I hope it did. I hope it did. Luckily, we have the internet sitting right in front of us. Let's right. <laughs> How did the rest cure hang in there? When did the rest cure oh, end of the cure? Still used. The oh, geez. Still used? Wikipedia. Oh, I, I don't know how, how accurate Wikipedia is. Let's go to a source. Well, like yeah. Okay, bed rest, a potentially hurtful, needing more careful evaluation. That was in 1999. So, yeah, and none of us knew that that was a thing that's still being used. Hopefully a more refined version where it's not like, hey, do absolutely nothing and be bored. Oh my gosh, that's right. Uh, you know how, like, a lot of people recommend bed rest after getting... Uh, after being pregnant, yeah, that I mean, that's kind of a form of rest cure. Uh, I mean, that also has to do with uh, the tearing of that bit of skin in between the uh, yeah, the lady bits, I guess. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm distracted by the fact that we look at WebMD and the first thing that and I'm trying to read this article, and all of a sudden, a, a, a smiling baby just pops up out of nowhere <laughs> in my face. I'm like, ah. ah. Get out of here, baby. Go back home, baby. I guess it depends <laughs> on how long you're supposed to lie in bed. Well, well, specifically, this is taking us to bed rest, also referred to as the rest cure. I think we're talking yeah, about some injuries do require like. I think I think the biggest difference maybe between rest cure and bed rest is like bed rest. You're just physically trying to rest your body but they're not going to, like, strip you of any kind of, like, stimuli. Like, I'm sure you can watch TV or read a book or write in a fucking journal while bed resting. Yeah. Right. So. Oh, yeah. Where this was, like, don't do anything at all yeah. when yeah. she has no reason to not do yeah, anything like she, at all. Our narrator, Jane, was, like, sleeping all damn day. And they're like, yeah, that's good. That's okay. That's good for her. Like, she couldn't even write in her journal. Mm -hmm. You know how boring it is to sleep on an airplane and then wake up and re realize you're still on the airplane? Yeah. And it's like hours later. And you don't know actually how much time has passed because it's all the same. Yeah, it's like that. I mean... So I got a question case. for us. Could the wallpaper have been any other color? Do you think it would change the story? Ooh, good question. Um, the chartreuse wallpaper. Because <laughs> yellow is like... Like I used to... I mean, to... it's associated with insanity. Yeah. And not yeah. a lot of people like the color yellow. Like, I used to work at an arcade as shift manager. So we always had, like, the little, like, two-ticket prizes. And so, like, pencils or keychains and whatever. There was always an abundance of yellow because no one ever wanted the yellow pencil or the yellow flashlight or whatever. Well, yellow is a color that's supposed to, not attract, but catch one's attention. Mm. It's, a, it's a primary color. It is a primary color, and it's supposed to attract one's attention. But it's not meant to be appealing. Like, it, it actually, it could be... I mean, yellow. in school, like, in our advertising classes, uh, we learned that yellow, you use it like, um, like, you use, like, a pastel yellow for, like, uh, positive energy and happiness and freshness and all that. But, like, you use a hard yellow, like McDonald's, if you want, like, to catch people's attention, but get them out of the restaurant quickly. <laughs> because people don't want to stay around it, but they're attracted to it. Huh. So you're like moths to a you're like moths to a flame. You come up to it, you realize it's ultimately just like oh okay whatever, and then you leave. Yeah, I you leave with like three hamburgers. <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of like other colors, I mean, orange wouldn't have been as com. I guess like some of the colors wouldn't have been as common. Like red would have been too wouldn't have been yeah, as common. Yeah, red's like associated with danger. Um, yeah, I it's think also the car that gets in the most car crashes. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The aquamarine wallpaper. Jeez. <laughs> I think, the tour choice wallpaper. 
I think uh, the yellow was based on an experience that she had. Like, she must have seen some yellow wallpaper that she just hated. Well, again, there's that interpretation of the, like, the, the unclean yellow being associated with something abhorrent about childbirth. That is true. But again, something you'd want to, that would set you, be triggering if you're dealing with postpartum depression. Yeah, if it would have been, although um, at the time, I know a lot of sanitariums would use bright white. And it actually said, if you use stark white, it will lead to insanity, like stark white walls. So if you ever, that's why you'll, you'll see white walls uh, in a lot of places, but they're never going to be stark white. It'll be like an off color white. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. eggshell. Yeah, also like. I, I don't know about other people, but, like, walls that are too white give me migraines. Mm-hmm. That, that's the, yeah, white walls, that's, it is actually proven that those really white walls will do cause uh, mental damage in a way. Like, or it cause, it does cause pain. And actually, with uh, sanitariums, the fact, what, the, the fact they did have stark white walls for a while caused even more insanity in the patients. That's interesting and yeah. makes a lot of sense, actually. Gosh, this this turned into this turned into a great color theory discussion. So <laughs> I know, right? Um, I mean, to be fair, though, white is also associated with cleanliness, mm-hmm. which is why hospitals tend to use it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think yellow again. Yellow can be a dirty color, and it is a color that is com that can be a common wallpaper. Doesn't she describe it like it's it's a type of yellow that smears? Yeah, there's like apparently this like it stains things, which well, again. How, how, how interesting is that? Like now the mental image of, of this woman crawling around, pressing up against the wall. Could you imagine like all the yellow that's now spreading on her Ooh. clothes? Oh, you mean like flaking off of the wall and yeah, sticking to her? Yeah. Or just, or just the like color the, even the just fact- like rubbing off because like uh, Jenny complains. But also, about... didn't didn't they used to like put lead in yellow paint? Or they used I guess to lead in all paint. And, yeah, but and still. paint. Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> that probably did not help at all. No. no. So like, there's this woman crawling on all fours with yellow covering her, which even actually leads to the scary idea of her becoming a part of the wallpaper. Mm-hmm. She does talk about like, oh, when night falls, I'll probably have to get back in the wall. Mm-hmm. Ah, ah, forest Excuse green me, folks. Wallpaper. I need to get back in the wall before I turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> Orange wallpaper. Actually, no, that would have <laughs> never happened. That's way too 70s. See, now, there are some colors I can get behind there being in wallpaper, but yeah... The way that the wallpaper is described is low-key horrific. That becomes high-key horrific as the story actually goes along. The pink wallpaper. The, that would just be Umbridge. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> the paisley wallpaper. I like Argyle. Argyle? Argyle would be great. I'm super down to have really cool purple wallpaper, especially if it's like the kind that's in the, the Haunted Mansion. That would be awesome. With its demon eye patterns those are cool purple is my favorite color guys just putting that out there mine too hey <laughs> mine's blue that's a good choice blue is good <laughs> but yeah the uh, brown wallpaper <laughs> that was another one i was thinking like could have been a light brown could have worked that's like I mean, well we're I... already associating dirty diapers with the wallpaper i'd rather think is it worse I think anything that's, like, it? incredibly dingy would probably work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And incredibly gross to look at, despite the color. Well, it is, let's not forget, it's wallpaper, too. It's not painted on. 
Yeah. And actually, like, there's a pattern and everything. And the pattern, there's the part where the wallpaper was not leveled properly. So there's a place where the pattern breaks up because of the seam in the wallpaper. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. That would drive me crazy in and of itself. Yeah, she she... That's what one of the things she has nothing to do but study the wallpaper. It's like yeah. where's it's like a demented where's Waldo. So she's just like, oh shit, the symmetry is off here. Fuck. <laughs> well, what do you guys think about how like her description of the wallpaper changed from the beginning towards the end? Because there was that one part where like she's like, I want out of this room because this wallpaper is getting to me. And then at the end, she's like, oh, I'm not gonna tell them you know, all this shit that's going on in my head because then they'll take me away from the room. Hey, that, I mean, she invested the time and the energy into this, uh, into this let's play, find things in the wallpaper, and I think she's earned it. Like, she didn't like it at first. I would almost say it's like, a, it's like, here's the thing, I've made it my own at this point. I turned something I hated into something I love, and it could be part of the well, madness coming in, but suddenly it's like, this is, this is the only thing I have that's actually mine, you know? It makes me think of um, The Haunting. I mean, that woman, a lot of bad stuff is happening to her with this house, but she is enchanted by it. She feels like she's been chosen by this house. Maybe this is how she feels with this room. So, like, this room has basically chosen her. Or she has to be the one to solve whatever's going on here. Because, like, how she does mention that uh, the paper is affecting John and Jenny. And she's like, no, I'm going to be the one who lets out this woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because, again, it's all she has to do. It's what she's made her life's mission because she's so There's nothing bored. else, to, There's there, nothing else been to do but invest herself. Void of everything if they else. Just let, if they just let her do her thing, none of this would have happened. When you think about it, like, if they had let her wander the gardens when she felt like it or hang on a nicer room downstairs or... Just go out for a bit, but no. That's the real tragedy of the story. A lot of this could have been so easily avoided when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Unless, yeah, but unless psychology at that time was just nuts. Yeah. And that's the, I mean, obviously we've established this time and again, and I feel like we're repeating ourselves, but that's, I mean, that's the real horror of the story when you think about it. It's like all of this, when, from a modern perspective, all of this could yeah. have been so easily avoided, mm-hmm. but there's so much ignorance going on that this woman loses her mind. Or and or is possessed by a ghost and or creates a tulpa <laughs> and or becomes the tulpa or all three or none of the, these things, which is great. I love the open endedness. Oh, I could gush about this story for ages. We kind of have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Were there any other questions? I know we only had the one from Destiny, but thank you, Destiny, for the question. Mm-hmm. But uh, was there anything else? Any other questions anybody wanted to pose? I think we went quite in depth with it. Yeah. Would you guys say this is a horror story? I would say so. I would say so. Because it's still, even if it is about madness, it's still, what's going on is definitely horrific. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I don't know if as many people would say this is a horror story. But I see it as a horror story. Because you think about what she's going through, what Jane is going through, and everything that happens. And it does... It give is, you pause. It, it, is, it gave me pause. That's it, for sure. it, it is still open to interpretation. Uh, Gilman did write in, write it in a way where it does feel like you can interpret it in many ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shall we introduce our story for uh, next month for September? Yes. The Purple Mountain's Majesty Wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> so our next story is uh, going to be in David's and my domain. We're going to be reading Pen Pal. By Dathan Auerbach. A.K.A. 1,000 Vultures. 1,000 Vultures, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Might be better known. This is one of my favorite stories. 
Now, um, I know that the story exists online, but we're going to be taking a look at the published version. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to look at the novel, the Mm -hmm. actual novel. We will put a link to that in this episode's show notes, and we'll also tweet it out. It will be an affiliated link through Amazon, so if anyone decides to buy a copy through that link, it'll help send a couple cents towards supporting this podcast. I have the book description pulled up. Do you guys want me to read it? Yes. In an attempt to make his to make sense of his own mysterious and unsettling childhood memories, a man begins to reconstruct his past. As the games and adventures of his youth become engulfed by a larger story, he finds that it forms a tapestry of unbelievable horror that he could never have expected. Each chapter completes a different piece of the puzzle for both you and the narrator, and by the end of it all, you will wish that you could forget what he never knew. That actually sounds interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's a really good story. Yeah, and it's not a very long read. <laughs> I love it. I'm eager for Chelsea's enthusiasm for this next one. Yeah. Like Chelsea's enthusiasm. Happy. <laughs> and actually, we've been switching off uh, giving a, a, an actual synopsis description, and it's Chelsea's turn for. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Are you sure you want me to do that? Yes. yes. I might need an adult. <laughs> Join us again next um, 13th. Uh, send us your questions and comments to discuss on Facebook or Twitter at darklylitpod. Or you can email us at darklylitpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, site, darklylitpodcast.com. Isn't it creativehorror.com? It is. You can go to darklylitpodcast.com and it will take you there. You can go to creativehorror.com and it will take you there. Uh, join us again next time and... Hopefully this uh, little corner will not have yellow wallpaper put in. No, I refuse. It'll just be purple. My walls are this, like, ugly peach. I call it anime skin color. I fucking hate it. (laughs) The anime skin wallpaper. (laughs) All right. Blow the candles out, everybody. Say goodnight. Night. (laughs) Night.